before um, we start in the message, we're going to be looking at Proverbs chapter 30. You can turn there. We're looking at how to honor the Father, but I thought we would have some real live examples of honoring their fa the, the father of their children. So what I did is I thought, I got to get a newbie, somebody that is a brand new mom and a brand new, that's representing a brand new father. So that's going to be Sarah. And then I got a, an old, experienced woman in Liz. They have four children, okay? And so they're going to share. I don't think their husbands know this. Maybe the cat got out of the bag. I don't know. But uh, they're just going to share just a little bit about what their husbands mean. Sarah, you go first and then Liz. All right. Well, good morning. Um, so this weekend, I was out shopping, and I saw a Father's Day card that said this. You know, one of the reasons I fell madly in love with you and married you was because I believed you would make an amazing father. I was right, just like always. <laughs> the card kind of made me smile. Um, but the truth of the matter is, there are times in life where I feel like um, I'm never right, like I'm making mistakes and having to ask forgiveness and just struggling to make the right decision or pleading with God to give me wisdom because I don't know what to do. But. Um, other than my decision to follow Jesus, choosing to marry Aaron was the best decision that I've ever made. Hands down, no question, that was a time that I was 100% right, um, almost nine years ago when we said I do. Last year, on August 18th, which is actually just one day before our eighth wedding anniversary, we became parents to Carson, our son. Watching the man I love become a father has been one of my greatest joys. Because the thing is, it's true. I did fall madly in love with him and married him because I knew he'd make an amazing father. And I was right. Um, <clears throat> Aaron works at a job that requires him to work unusually lengthy shifts on his feet all day, often on nights and weekends. <clears throat> Yet he consistently makes time for our family. Already, he is a strong, loving, playful, and consistent presence in our son's life. Every Thursday, they get to spend the day together while I go to work, and I know that Carson really enjoys every minute of his special day with Daddy. They love to play on the swing and in the sandbox, and they run around the house together to the best of Carson's ability at this time. He's only 10 months. Um, and while Aaron is already an amazing dad and watching them together now is a lot of fun, I'm really looking forward to the days when they'll play soccer together in the backyard or when Aaron will teach Carson how to build something out of wood or how to ride his bike. Um, Aaron definitely appreciates the fun side of life and I know he's going to be passing that on to our son. And while he is a lot of fun, he is also the hardest worker I know. He already models this for our son. <clears throat> I have never once worried that Aaron might not provide for our family. And Carson will never have to worry about that either. I hope he will grow to have his dad's work ethic. Aaron is also an incredibly faithful person, faithful to God, to me, to our family, and to serving the Lord in whatever way he can. And I can't wait for Carson to serve alongside of his dad, following the example that Aaron will inevitably set for him. I pray that Carson will, with the help of the Holy Spirit, someday learn to be as selfless and giving as his father is. I pray he will put others first and honor others above himself. I'm so thankful that his father will show him how to do this. But above all else, 
I am grateful that I'm married to a man who loves Jesus and who will help me teach our son to love him too. So, happy Father's Day from Carson and me. We praise God for you, and we know that we're blessed beyond measure. Thanks. Mike and I have been married for 10 years this August. We have four children. Haley is eight, Joshua is seven, Elena is four and a half, and Emily will be three next month. Very often I'm told from family or friends, you've got a really good man. And I just smile and say thank you because I know how blessed I am with Mike. Most likely you'll always see him serving someone. He's happily opening the door for strangers. He'll jump at the chance to stop whatever he is doing to help someone else, even if that means he's not gonna get to finish what he already started. He'll mow your lawn or fix your car. He doesn't realize what he does for people is a really big deal because it comes so easily to him, but to most people it means the world. He gets up early to come help set up for church, then drives back home to help get all of us here too so that I don't have to do it alone with four kids. He's persistent about everything. He's creative and he's up for anything. He's always up for something new. Maybe you've heard about the beetles, the chickens, or the bees, or maybe the cornfield he has growing out back. The man can fix absolutely anything. Ask anyone in our family and they'll tell you it's not broke until Mike can't fix it. He can create and build something out of nothing and it usually starts with something he took from the curb. When we got married, he couldn't wait to have kids. Well, we couldn't wait to have kids, so we decided to have just a few really fast. When we brought our first baby home, Haley, I'll never forget, he would get home from work each day. It didn't matter what she was doing or who was holding her. He would pick her up and go lay on the couch with her and snuggle every day. Actually, he still does this most days with our kids. My husband is a hard worker. The man seriously never stops. Well, occasionally for a little clash of clans. Um, <laughs> I love that whatever he is doing, he teaches our kids how to work hard and how to have fun at the same time. He's taught them how to plant a garden, how to drive a tractor. He's taught them how to do cannonballs in the pool and how to get really dirty. But most importantly, he's taught them how to love Jesus and how to be kind to others. This man is so easygoing, and that's really probably why the Lord put us together. All of my life, I would pray for the perfect man to be my husband. When I met Mike, I realized he was the answer to my prayers, except that he is everything I never thought I needed. I love to see how 10 years later, God has the perfect plan for us. His strengths are my weaknesses. I appreciate Mike for the way that he loves Jesus, the way that he loves me, and the way that he loves our children. There is no doubt in my mind that we are the most important people in his life. I love the husband that you are to me. I love the amazing daddy that you are to our kids. And I love the way that you love Jesus and serve others. Just this morning, he came home after doing signs here this morning, got on the couch with the kids and was doing devotions with them and making sure that they knew how important it was to have a walk with Jesus. And I love that about that man. Happy Father's Day. Thank you, Sarah and Liz. Uh, I know for Liz and Mike, I officiated their wedding 10 years ago. And when I said, be fruitful and multiply, they took that literal, and I'm thankful for that. Sarah works at the office, and I'm thankful for what she does. So when dad is at home on Thursday, she's at the office working and serving you guys and serving the body of Christ, which I'm grateful as well. 
this Thursday, actually, I'm going to have a pod meeting with my g- group of deacons. The elders have divided all the deacons into groups of four. And so I'm meeting with my pod, and we have an honorary deacon that's going to join us this Thursday morning for breakfast, and it will be Carson. So uh, we're, he's a deacon in training. So, But what I th- I'm thankful for is that Sarah and Liz really are expressing what a lot of you mom uh, wives would say about your own husband, and I'm grateful for that. They are, in a sense, your mouthpiece today to express. I wish we could parade story after story because I know we have a lot of good men in this church. And we know that we live in a society where good fathers and fathers that are actively involved in their children's lives are it's falling to the wayside. There's a lot of places or a lot of people where the father is completely absent in the home. Please understand how important it is for you to be a dad that has a presence because you are the first example of God in their life. And your kids might vary away. They might try to find out things later in life, but they're always going to have that constant fixed true north in their life in you. They're going to see you. They're going to see the consistency in you, and that's an awesome thing. I'm thankful for the dads we have. Thank you. You are the heartbeat of this ministry. You are an example of unfailing love to your family. Happy Father's Day. What an awesome, awesome thing is to have the men that we have in this body. So thank you, guys. Happy Father's Day. Yep. Now, some of you have asked me the question of, before I get into the message, I want to answer a question that some people have asked. They said, Steve, where have you been? Okay, you've been gone for like the last several weeks. What has happened? Well, first of all, when I'm away, I am really, really thankful that we have great leadership, and Brian's done a phenomenal job in preaching. I, my wife and I listen to every message, and so we've been very encouraged by that. But some of you need to realize that we are a part of a network of churches. And Mission View has been planted by Maranatha Bible Church. And you can see all the network of churches that have been planted so far. And on occasion, either Brian or myself will go preach at one of these churches. And two weeks ago, I was able to go out to Grace Bible Church and present a message uh, in two services And last week I was at Maranatha Bible Church presenting the word there. It helps us keep uh, a network alive and for us to pray for each other. It keeps Mission View on the map. And I always, always ask that the body there pray for us as we continue to develop and to grow as a ministry. But I will tell you that when I go uh, go to these churches, which is awesome, I see old friends, It's kind of like, though, visiting your relatives. You know exactly what I'm talking about, don't you? It's always good to come home to your family. And I want you to know, Lee and I see you as our family. We love our family. What an awesome body this is that God is developing. Two weeks ago, Pastor Brian started a series in Proverbs. Now, some of you were with us last summer, and you realized that we went through Proverbs then. You're saying, why are we doing it again? Well, we only made it through the first eight chapters of Proverbs. 
Now, Proverbs is designed that the first eight chapters, you can kind of go through it verse by verse. But the latter part, chapter 9 on, it becomes a little bit more topical in nature. And so you know, Solomon is writing, and in 10 verses, he could have 20 different topics from, from wives to husbands to discipline to friendship to finances. And so what we've done is this summer, we're going to take the topics and formulate a series called Deeper. And the reason we want to go deeper is because there's different ways in Proverbs that God says he wants us to go deeper. So going along with our mission, intimacy with God, community with others, and influence, what we're doing in the month of June is focusing on intimacy with God. That's why for the last couple of weeks, we've dealt with the holiness of God, the sovereignty of God. Today, we're going to be talking about honoring God, and next week, the wisdom of God. But then in July, we're going to move into the community, the one another's, how we are to interact and get the wisdom from Proverbs of how we are to do that. And finally, in August, we move to a place of influence. How do we as a church have an influence in the world? And we will deal with issues like poverty. How do we deal with poverty? How do we deal with social justice? Things that help us have a voice in this community we're going to be walking through that. But I also want you to know that during the summer, we're going to be featuring a new album. We sang one song from that album. It's a Robbie Say album on the Psalms. All it is is scripture set to music. And we want to give you a tool that will allow you to grow deeper in your intimacy with God throughout the summer, which fulfills what we're trying to do here. So we want to encourage you to put that on your iPod, to put it on your the, whatever device you have, listen to the, the Psalms, get acquainted with the music. It'll help you be able to know the songs that we sing and introduce up here. It is on our website. We have a Spotify list that's there. All you got to do is go there and click on it, and it'll go right through the album. You don't have to even purchase it if you don't want to. So that's what we're going to do. Our desire is to grow deeper. Let's pray that God would do that in our lives. Lord, I pray that you would help us as a church to grow deeper with you. Because, Lord, if we don't have a personal relationship with you, if we don't know you, then we don't know your heart. We don't see who you are. So, Lord, we want that more than anything, that we would grow in depth with you. And, Lord, with that as a foundation, help us to be able to grow deeper with each other, to connect on a deeper level. I pray, Father, that you would do something amazing in this body in terms of our relationships, but not just with each other, our relationship with the world. Help us to know how you want us to interact with those that are outside of, your, uh, of the church. Help us to understand how we can love people in a genuine and authentic way. So I pray that you would do that work in our hearts. In Christ's name, amen. Well, turn in your Bibles to Proverbs 30. The title of the message is Honoring the Father. And so we're certainly going to talk about how we honor God, and certainly there's applications for us as dads if you are a father, but I believe there's something for everybody. Now, I don't know if you've ever felt this way, but have you ever been at that place where you feel like you are at a loss? 
you're dealing with an issue that is so much bigger than you are. That's a, a little bit of how our elders felt this past Monday. We met together and we started talking about and praying for the spiritual needs just within this body. But then we also prayed for the a mission view being planted in this world and the, the growing pressures of this world. And I want you to know there was it was kind of, it was heavy. It was heavy because we care about our presence in this world and our presence in your life. As we talked about the concerns of the body, we realized that there are some people that are weary. There are some people here that are just plain and simple hurt by sin. You're upset by sin because you've seen how it's had its effect in your family. There are some people that are just dealing with deep spiritual needs and struggles. And there are some that have hurting or failing marriages. And there's some that simply just want friendships. They just want it on a deeper basis. I want you to know that as elders, as leaders in this ministry, we bear that with you. We feel that. We pray for that in your life. But we also were concerned about the climate of this world system. We are planted in a society and in a culture where it's becoming growing more and more confused on its sexual identity. All you got to do is look at the headlines. People don't know whether they're transgender, transsexual, or trans race. That we have it all around us. We have a climate where the Supreme Court, if they don't do it this June, it'll eventually happen where they redefine marriage, which is going to have a direct effect on the church. We live in a climate in our world that is becoming less and less tolerant with people that are Christ followers. That's, how, that's the world we live in. And so there's times where we as elders and me as an individual, I just want to roll up my sleeves and I want to come out punching and fighting. And yes, we're going to battle for people. We're going to battle in this culture. And we realize I, we are like an ant trying to move a mountain. Or we have this raging fire and we have a little garden hose that we're trying to put out the fire with. And we realize that this thing is so much bigger than we are, this world that we live in. The problems that we face and then we do something that we ought to do all the time we fall on our knees before God and I want you to know you got a group of leaders they fell on their knees this past week in their hearts before God and cried out to him and you know when we cry out to God you know what happens it shows that we're dependent on him it shows it shows honor to God because we know that he is strong and we are not the psalmist says this Psalm 17 he says I call upon you for you answer me O God incline your ear to me hear my words Psalm 86 5 says for you O Lord are good and forgiving abounding and steadfast love to all who call upon you we are to call upon God, especially when we feel like there is nothing that we can do or change our circumstances and we feel overwhelmed. Is there anybody here that ever feels overwhelmed? Yeah. A lot of us. All of us at some time. Take courage in this passage. This is a passage that I, 
often go to to gain perspective. Isaiah 40 says this, Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God. That's the God we serve. The creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases power to the weak. That's us. Even youth grow tired and weary. I'd like to think I'm the youth, but not so much now. And young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Today, what we want to see is how we can grow deeper with God in the way we honor the Father. And from our passage, we're going to see simply this is what it's going to look like. We're going to honor God by depending on him, by praying for, to him, and living for him. So let's see that in our passage. Let's start by seeing how we should honor the sovereign. Take a look at Proverbs 30. I'm going to start with verse 1. It says, The word of Agur, son of Jachin, the, the oracle, the man declares, I am weary, O God, I am weary, O God, and worn out. So this guy's pretty beaten down. Notice what he says in verse 2. Surely I am too stupid to be a man. Now, ladies, don't camp out on that verse, okay? I have not the understanding of a man. I have not learned wisdom, nor have I the knowledge of the Holy One. Who has ascended to the heavens and come down? Who has gathered the wind in his fist? Who has wrapped up the waters in his garment? Who has established all the ends of the earth? What is his name and what is his son's name? Surely you know. Now, please note that the person that's actually writing this passage, his name is Agur. Now, we don't know anything about Agur, but since Solomon was the wisest man in the world, he certainly had the liberty to take the wise sayings of people that he respected and included into his writings. And so he puts that there because he respects that. And what I notice about Agur, first of all, is that he shows honor to the sovereign by doing something, by contrasting man with the sovereignty of God. That's really what he's doing. Notice in verse 2 what he says, Surely I'm too stupid to be a man. Now the word stupid means to be brutish or dull-minded like an animal. And then he follows it up by saying, uh, I have not the understanding of a man. He's implying that he has less than human intelligence. Is this guy having a really, really bad day? Or what is it that he's trying to express? What he's trying to do is draw a contrast between human wisdom and the knowledge of God. Because look at verse 3. He says, I have not learned wisdom, nor have I the knowledge of the Holy One. Guys, we can have all kinds of knowledge, but here's the question. Do we have the knowledge of the Holy One? Church, I'm not certain how many degrees you have. I don't know if you have letters after your name. I don't know what kind of training you have in your vocation. But I want you to know that all of that, all that earthly wisdom, even though it's not bad, it's, it's good to have education, 
It doesn't even compare. It pales in comparison with actually knowing God. And that's what the author is trying to get us to think about. Do we really know the one and the things that are most important in knowing God? J.I. Packer is a British author. He's kind of my, my uh, quote for the, today. And J.I. Packer wrote a book called Knowing God. And he says this in his book. He says, knowing about God is crucially important for living our lives. As it would be cruel, he draws an analogy here, as it would be cruel to an Amazon tribesman to fly him to London, where he's from, put him in the middle of town and leave him there as one who knew nothing of English or England to fend for himself. So we, here's the comparison, so we are cruel to ourselves if we try to live in this world without knowing about God, whose world it is and who runs it. The world becomes a very strange and mad and painful place and life in it, a disappointment, an unpleasant business for those who do not know about God. Disregard the study of, God's, uh, of God and you sentence yourself to stumble and blunder throughout life, blindfolded as it were, with no sense of direction, no understanding of what surrounds you. Agur brings perspective and he says, no, 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 I need to know the knowledge of God. And then he asks five questions. He says, who has ascended to the heaven and come down? Who has gathered the wind in his fist? Do we see wind this week as the storms came through? Did you see the power of God? Who has wrapped up the waters in a garment? Who has established all the ends of the earth? What is his name? What is his son's name? The answer to every single one of those questions is God, 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 God Almighty. This is what Agur wants us to understand. I found this really cool passage this week. Jeremiah 9. Listen to the words of this. Jeremiah 9 says this. This is what the Lord says. Let not the wise man boast of his wisdom or the strong man boast of his strength or the rich man boast of his riches. But let him who boasts boast about this, that he understands and knows me. He knows me. I think this is what he's getting to in verse 5 and 6. He wants us to know God. Take a look at verse 5 and 6. It says, every word of God proves true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. Do not add to his word, lest he rebuke you and be found a liar. Every word of God proves to be true. So what Agur is trying to do is help us understand how we can honor the Father, how we can honor God by depending on him, depending on his very words. And what he does is he gives a picture of a shield. He says, God is a shield. His word is a shield. Picture it as an umbrella that protects you from the element. And when we are under God's word and we're listening to what he says, we're coming to church on a regular basis to hear God's word. We're reading the scriptures for ourselves. God uses that to protect us. But the moment we step away from God's word, we get outside of that protection and God says, come back. 
come back. Draw near to me. You might feel like you're a thousand miles away, but you're only one step back to me, and I will put you under the protection of my word. That's what God wants. He wants us to be under him. So the question is, are we investing in the knowledge of God? Do you realize that we make investments every single day? When we realize we're getting a little flabby, and we realize we're going to cut down our lifespan if we don't change something, all of a sudden, exercise becomes a priority in eating right. And so what we do is we rearrange our schedule. And we try to eat these things that we normally wouldn't eat. We're eating small meals five times a day. We're going and getting up and running and doing exercise. We rearrange everything. Why? Because that's important. Do you realize that when we want education later in life, that rearranges everything as well? Some of you are there. My wife, when she went back for her nursing degree, we rearranged everything. I now became the cook. I became the person doing all the shopping and doing the cleaning because she was doing her, getting her education in nursing. We rearranged everything because that was valuable to us. Some of you guys rearranged your schedules for the last month because you were hoping beyond all hope that we would have a championship in basketball. No, the curse continues, but it was a fine effort. But some of you that normally go to bed at 9 o'clock, you're up till midnight watching the game. You're groggy the next day. Why'd you do it? You wanted to. It was valuable to see a championship. So you rearranged everything. My friends, what are we doing in investing into God's word? Are we rearranging things so it's a priority in our life? We go on in the passage and Agor shows us how we bring honor to the honorable, and he does it in a unique way. He's going to write out his prayer to us and so that we can see what, uh, what it is that he's praying for. And he actually prays that God would help him in two areas of his weakness before he dies. Now, why before he dies? Because he wants to leave a legacy. Just like Pastor Brian talked about last week, we need to leave a legacy. He wants to leave a legacy. And so here are the two areas of his weakness. Keep me away from lies and make provisions. Listen to what he says in verse 7. Two things I ask of you, implying to God, deny them not to me before I die. Remove far from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. That's funny. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. So what are the two areas of weakness in this man's life? Well, the same areas of weakness in our life. He says, first of all, keep me from falsehood. Keep me from lying. Why does he say that? He doesn't say a whole lot other than saying, keep me from lying and keep me from falsehoods. Why does he say it? My friends, because truth is the basis of God. Truth is the, always the basis of God. And lies are an acid to the foundation that we are to be. Do you realize that Timothy says that we are a pillar of the foundation of truth? We are a pillar and a foundation of truth. Say that with me. P 
pillar and foundation of truth. One more time. Pillar and foundation of truth. That's what we are. We have a God who's all about truth. Here's some passages that you can look up later if you want. Jeremiah 5.3 says that God looks for truth. Jeremiah 26.15 says that God sends messengers to speak the truth. John 1.14 says that Jesus is the truth. John 17.17 17 says that we as believers are protected by the truth. John 8.32 says truth will what? Set you free. We're told in Ephesians 4.15 that we are to speak truth to one another. And 1 John 1.6 says that we are to walk in the truth. Very clearly, living in the truth instead of living lies is what brings God honor and glory to God. When my kids were younger, we taught them as they were growing up that truth was the number one value of the marshals. We'd say, kids, listen here, uh, you got to speak truth with us. Because as the kids got to be teenagers, they, they wanted what? Freedom. They were like William Wallace on the side of the hill. Freedom! They just wanted more freedom. And I'm like, if you want freedom, I want truth. Don't lie. Don't lie. Because once you start lying, I don't know what to take as true and not true. And my friends, this is why I think we should pray this kind of prayer. If you want to bring honor to God, then you will be truthful even when it hurts. I fear that some of us have grown up in this culture that it's seeped into who we are. And some of us have learned to stretch the truth. Some of us have learned to shade the truth. Some of us have learned to avoid the truth. And every one of us are guilty on some level of these things. And what God says is, I want you, if you want to bring honor to me, I want you to be truthful. And this should be our prayer as well. Now, Agur also says that he wants provision. Now, no, this is the paraphrase. He says, God, don't give me too much. Because if, I be, if you give me too much, I'll become self-sufficient and I will live life without reference to you and I'm going to deny you. So I don't want that. And then he goes to the other extreme and says, okay, God, don't give me too little either. Because if, I, if you give me too little, then I'm going to be poor. I'm going to end up stealing. And thus I will profane your name. The word profane means bring dishonor. To bring dishonor to your name. And so what Agor is praying is for God, that God would help him to build his life in such a way that it would bring honor to God. So here's the question. How are you intentionally building your life? It just doesn't happen. We make decisions. How is it that you are building your life? In your wealth, are you trusting God with your finances? In your poverty, are you so worried that you, trust can't be found in you at all? Pray to God that he would be your sufficiency, and in this way, you'll be, live an honorable life. Well, Agur finishes out, at least what we're going to look at in verses 11 to 14, with what I believe are ways that we can be honorable to God. Now, he states four things in a negative. 
He states it for negative things, but I think God gives us negatives so that we can identify what the culture is, but also learn from the positive of that negative. And so this is what he says in verse 11. There are those who curse their fathers and do not bless their mothers. There are those who are clean in their own eyes, but are not washed of their filth. There are those, how lofty are their eyes, how high their eyelids lift. There are those whose teeth are swords, whose fangs are knives to devour the poor from off the earth and the needy from among mankind. Now, he gives four pretty drab type of things, but we learn the positives here. Here's the first positive that we gain. He says, don't dishonor. Don't bring a, a curse upon your parents. What he's saying is, honor your father. Bless your mother. See, the negative of this would have broken the fifth commandment of the Ten Commandments. And that would have been a penalty worthy of death. See, there was a culture back then where they honored and revered those that were older than them and they respected them on a great level. And I got to tell you that I fear that we live in a society that is showing greater dishonor to those that have paved the way for us. Mission View Church, it's obvious that we lean towards a younger congregation, but may we never, ever, ever not appreciate those that are older within our ministry. Those of you that are older, I'm not going to put my in that, myself in that category yet. But I want you to know I'm sorry if there's ever a time that you felt like you have not been heard, that you feel like you've been disrespected. I don't want that ever, ever to happen. But let me thank you let me thank you for setting an example for all of us. Your faith and your prayers have paved the way for us. And there are some young couples that need you as a beacon for their life because they're struggling. And they need you as an example. And I personally want to thank my own parents. I'm thankful that my parents have set in a godly example for my wife and I, but also our kids. Our kids can look at two parents that have been examples. They give. I mean, if you've ever been at the office this week, they were there serving hamburgers when we were doing an office outreach to the complex. About 350 people came to be fed, and there they are. They're handing Virginia and my, my mom were there handing out hamburgers and chicken and all that kind of stuff. Dad's washing the windows. He, he's legally blind. I want you to know that. But he's, it doesn't, nothing stops my dad. Man, that's what I love about him. Thank you. This afternoon, the Marshalls have a rich opportunity to celebrate their 60th anniversary. And so we praise God for that. Mom and Dad, thank you. Thank you for your example. We honor you. The second positive that we gain is that we are to be pure and without hypocrisy. 
See, the Agur points out the hypocrisy of so many who give off this appearance of being clean, but it says that they are filled with moral filth. And in a sense, I think this can be somewhat prophetic of the church today. So rare is the person who is inwardly what he or she expresses outwardly. And how I wish, how I wish that pornography was nowhere to be found in the church. How I wish, how I wish that immoral behavior was obsolete amongst Christ's followers. Friends, the only way that this can be true is that we put on Christ moment by moment and that we are washed clean with his word because it's a struggle. We live in a morally filthy society and there's always going to be that struggle. Here's the third thing he says, be humble. In the verse, he's showing that they're haughty and proud. And it's interesting, there's a, a, a word use of eyes. In verse 12, when he was talking about purity, he says there are those who are clean in their own eyes. And here, when he talks about humility, he says there are those, how lofty are their eyes. The term eyes depicts a strong opinion of oneself. And what Agur is doing is he's helping them realize what society was like, that a lot of people have a very strong opinion of themselves. And He's setting it up so that those who are humble can be a glaring light in that society. Friends, do you realize how rare humility is? Some people think it can't be applied in business. I disagree. I believe that you can take on the character of Christ and be a servant leader like the example of Aaron and Mike, and you could have a profound impact. The final thing that he says is that we, here's the positive, that we need to help the needy. Now, in the passage, Agur points out that there were those in society that took advantage of the needy and used them to serve their own means. Man, this is a timeless thing. I get tired of politicians pawning off the poor. It's Republicans. It's Democrats. They're saying, oh, we're going to do this for the poor. We're going to do this for the poor. And after they get their votes, what they do is they pass policies to make the poor more dependent upon government. And instead of giving, uh, teaching them how to fish, they give them the fish and do nothing more. We live in a world where there's sweatshops around the world where people are in slavery and they are poor and they are needy. And my friends, our call as a church is to be a part of helping the poor in a constructive way. Many of you may not know this, but this in the past 18 months at Mission View, as small as we are, we have helped a poor pastor uh, in Turkey who we're going to see coming coming. Uh, uh, in August, Hyri and Layla develop a business. We've helped with Maranatha Bible Church buy him a truck so that he could be self-sustaining so he's not dependent upon the West. We're trying to, to not just give the fish, but to teach him to fish. Along with other partners, we've also been able to invest into motorcycles in Kenya and Uganda and a sawmill amongst the poor so that they could have the businesses that's connected with church planting so that they are not dependent upon us, but that they can have be dignified. My friends, this is how we help the needy and the poor. This is a part of our mission. 
And I want you to know, every time you give to this ministry, every time you give, you're helping the poor. You're helping the needy. Are you a part of that mission? So we stand back and we look at this passage and say, okay, here we go. What should we do to really bring honor to God? Well, yes, we need to realize who we are in light of who God is, and we need to realize His knowledge is what we need to be holding on to. Yeah, we need to do that. We need to pray that God would keep falsehood from us. We need to pray that, that He would take care of our daily provisions. We need to also act in such a way where we are blessing those that are older, that we are coming along and being pure in a morally impure world, that we are servants to this world and that we are helping the needy. So we're to do all that, but why? Why is this so important? Why do all these things? Here's the answer. Because you and I are a reflection of God. That's why. You and I are a reflection of God. Every dad here knows that their son and daughter are watching their daddy closely. Even without thinking about it, our kids mimic us. Any one of my kids, my son, my daughter, if you see them walk into the room, you will know that they are my child. Not just because they look like me, kind of. They do. But they act like me. They don't want to admit it, but they do. My son has a lanky walk just like I do. And I think my daughter does as well. And I'm okay with it. I like my signature walk. It's cool. <laughs> but here's the deal. And here's what we need to think about. What is it that we're communicating to the generation that's coming behind us and to the generation after that. If they were to operate according to the faith that we demonstrate on a daily basis, would we be satisfied with where that takes them? Would we be happy? What is it that we're teaching about church? Are we teaching that church is an option when it's good, when the weather's kind of cruddy outside yeah or is it this is part of who we are it's knit within the fabric fabric of who we are as a family just know that our kids will probably take what we do and might dilute it just a little bit i hope not what are we teaching about marriage and family are we teaching that our, our spouse is of the utmost importance and our family is of the utmost importance and that I am committed wholeheartedly? I am going to do whatever I can to raise my kids, to battle for my kids, to pray for my kids. It even causes you to be an idiot as a dad sometimes. I've been there many times. Just ask my kids. Or are we just going to take a casual approach of, yeah, I got to got a lot of things at the office to do. I got a lot of committee meetings. I got a lot of phone calls to make. I got a lot of this and that. That's all just noise and a negative example. What is it that we are teaching? We could go on and on with the evaluation, but here's the point. We reflect the Father. We reflect the Father. Dads, this is why your role is so vitally important. Lesson number one that our kids learn right away 
is they get a picture of who God is through you, like it or not. And I hope that that results in a positive thing. As we close, I want us to worship and fall before God. In your hearts, whether you're on your knees, whether you're, you're coming to the stage or just where you're at, you can stand, you can kneel. I don't care, but we're singing the song, I Surrender. And I believe the Spirit of God is speaking to us as a church on the kind of people that he wants us to be. If you need to just listen to the songs and, and don't sing the words, you can do that. If you want to sing and bellow it out, you can do that. But let's call upon God and surrender who we are to him. Here I am, down on my knees again, surrendering more, surrendering more. Find Desperate for you, desperate for you. I surrender, Dream.
Jesus, we surrender ourselves to you. We surrender our families. Lord, take us in all of our imperfections, God. You are such an awesome Father. You are the perfect example. Even when we have been the imperfect example, you are the perfect example all the time. Lord, help us. Help us to be a people that bring honor to your name in all that we do. We pray that in your name.